Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When I was 22, I became pregnant after a one-night stand. It's racy, I know. (laughs) I immediately knew I could not raise this baby on my own. The father had left for basic training, and by the time I found out I was pregnant, he was weeks into his new life. I contemplated getting an abortion, but ultimately I decided on adoption. I'm thankful I had that choice. I spent my first and second trimester in relative solitude, largely ignoring my growing belly. I felt detached from my body. I think it was a way of um, kind of a self-preservation. But by the third trimester, I knew I had to face this very real situation and I began contacting adoption agencies. What ethnicity are you? Asked a lady at one of the agencies. Native American, I replied. And then the line went silent. It was then for the first time I learned of a federal law called the Indian Child Welfare Act, or ICWA. ICWA was passed in the 70s as a way to prevent Native children from being removed from their home. And if they were placed up for adoption, it it ensured that they would stay within a Native home. Before ICWA, there was a disproportionately high amount of Native children being removed from their traditional homes and therefore their culture. The lady on the phone then told me I needed permission from my tribe to give my baby up for adoption. So I called Meskwaki Family Services, which is my tribe's equivalent to DHS, and I informed them of my decision. They told me that as long as there were no objections to my plan, that I could do what I felt I needed to do. I began reading profiles of men and women who so desperately wanted a child. And I eventually found a family that I liked in Indiana. Mom, Tammy, owned a hair salon, and dad, Gary, was a competitive archer who had recently competed in Olympic trials. To me, they sounded perfect. (laughs) They were young, social, active, involved in their communities. So we began a friendship, and I would call them after every single OB appointment. Sometimes they would call just to talk to him. I didn't want 
to get attached to the life that was growing inside of me. But I gave him a name anyway. Braven Wyatt. Braven, because I needed him to be brave on this journey. And Wyatt, because I've always loved that name. <laughs> it also turns out that Gary and Tammy had cho chosen a name as well, Wyatt Joseph. So we took that as our sign that this was meant to be. I spoke to Braven all of the time. I let him know what was going to happen, who his mom and dad were. And I told him over and over that I only wanted the best for him. On May 24th, 2005, I went into labor and my mom rushed me to the hospital. I remember laying there and watching the opening of the five o'clock news and three minutes later, an eight pound baby boy was placed in my arms. <laughs> it was exhausting and painful. But I think I was relieved it was over, or so I thought it was. Hours later, Meskwaki Family Services came to the hotel room, hospital room, <laughs> and informed me that my father had raised an objection to my, of my adoption plan to our tribal council. And I lost custody of my own baby. Ikwa had come into play. The decision to strip me of custody was made by my father and a tribal council comprised of all men. My voice as a mother, an enrolled tribal member, and a woman was effectively silenced. I felt sick, my blood ran cold. All of the pain of childbirth and the soreness was nothing compared to the feeling of my heart shredding. as my hours-old baby was stolen by my tribe. Gary and Tammy were holding Braven, as Meskwaki Family Services told us this. And I watched as their hope crumbled. Gary went mute. 
And Tammy sobbed those sobs that are so hard, no sound comes out. My relationship with my dad effectively ended that day. I decided to keep my son so that he would not be awarded custody. And I began the long process of reversing the tribal council's decision. As the weeks went on, I became increasingly angry. I was only thinking of my child's best interest, the better life I wanted for my son. I had done nothing wrong, and I felt like I was being punished. I told my story to a reporter, and after the tribal baby battle story aired, the floodgates opened. I was re contacted by reporters all over the world. Oprah called me. I uh, was once the subject of discussion on Tucker Carlson's podcast, back when he still wore the bow tie. But most importantly, I became a topic of discussion within my tribe. I was ostracized. I was called names. like baby seller. I was told I was not a real Meskwaki. This is not how we do things here, they said. But once, as I was walking into the tribal center to attend yet another tribal court hearing, a gugu stopped me. Gugu is a Meskwaki word for grandma. In our culture, all of the tribe's elder women are your grandmas. She put her hands on my arms and she said to me, you tell them, Gwesh. Gwesh means little girl. Don't be afraid to stick up for yourself. You let them know. You are a strong Meskwaki woman. After months of struggle, I really realized I could not raise this child. I eventually gave in to my tribe and Braven was placed with the Meskwaki family. I then began, began a period of self-loathing. I hated myself. I hated my skin. 
I hated my heritage. I no longer wanted to be Meskwaki. And I gave serious thought to disenrolling myself from the tribe. <laughs> I then fell into a lot of bad habits. I, um, I wallowed in addiction, in jail cells, in hospital psych wards, until I ultimately decided to leave Tama for good. I moved to Des Moines in the end of 2010. And here, I could disappear. Nobody knew me. Nobody looked like me. It was like I was a ghost. But after a while, I began to feel like something was missing. That fading into the background that I had loved before just became draining. I really was the only native in my universe here. And it made me feel alone. So in 2015, I learned of oil pipelines and the threat that they caused to native or that they posed to native communities. I became so invested in what was going on at Standing Rock that I traveled there twice in the fall of 2016. Being surrounded by Native people from over 400 tribes around the world filled me with warmth. It was like a home that wasn't actually my home. One morning, I took part in a water ceremony along the banks of the Cannonball River. And there it just all kind of hit me. I was sitting there listening to a prayer being said in another native tongue. And all I could think was, I wish I was home. Turn it. <laughs> As in that instant, my anger and my hate disappeared from my community. It was like a switch was flipped. 
like my last puzzle piece was finally snapped into place. The culture that I had been running from all this time was exactly what I needed to feel whole. Sitting in that hospital room 14 years ago, I was obsessed with my choices, the good I wanted to do for my son, the better life I wanted him to have. But that's just it. I was only thinking of myself. ICWA forced me to think of the tribe, to consider the many instead of just one. It's decisions like my tribal councils that made me realize they were only protecting our bodies, our descendants, our culture, our history, and our way of life. The preservation of indigenous cultures is the only reason why we are still here today. And continued preservation of our culture will ensure that we survive long into the future. Tribal sovereignty is paramount and with time and perspective, that's become so clear to me. Last summer, my great uncle and my tribal chairman passed away. I knew I wanted to go home uh, to take part in the ceremony to honor him. My drive to Tama was very anxious. Uh, knowing that I was going to see my family after all this time. But as I pulled up, all of my gukus greeted me with hugs. And my guku Betty said, Welcome home, Gwesh. And that instant, I felt just immediately calm. I was supposed to be there. Home is a funny thing, isn't it? We think of it as just this place, a roof and four walls. But to me, it's a way of life a native way of life. Gary and Tammy kept in touch with me for a little while after. I think it's because we were all scared just to let go. One of their final correspondences with me was to tell me that they had adopted infant twins. One girl, and one boy, they named Wyatt. A few weeks ago, I had the chance to spend time with my son for the first time since he was a baby. 
It was the day after his birthday, so I took him shopping. <laughs> he picked out uh, a Call of Duty game, a Nike t-shirt, some kind of gaming headset, and he also picked us out matching bracelets. But none of that was as important to him as his desire to know me. He wanted to see pictures of me and my family. He wanted to find what he had been missing. He wanted his final puzzle piece. That is a feeling I deeply understand. It took me a while to come to terms with ICWA, but it did its job. It preserved this native child the way that it was intended. And because of that, I know Braven will always have a home, a true home, in his place among my people. Thank you.